The Mod Squad. Starring Michael Cole as Pete. Clarence Williams as Lincoln. As Lincoln Hayes. And Peggy Lipton as Chudley. Ty Gander as the chief. <laughs> or the captain, was it? Hooray, hurrah. Once again, the smartest man in the world, Proofcast, takes to the ether. This time, bathing in the glow that is everything that Clarence Williams III was. An actor, a raconteur, a, a descendant of artists, mm-hmm. uh, a, a television star when there was very few black people starring in television shows. And, and surely he might have been the only one at the time with a giant afro. And his character was super hip. Uh, hi, everybody. My name is Greg Proops. And once again, the Proopcast takes to the ether this time from the solicitous confines and the propitious Proopitudes of the Portress of Proopitude located somewhere here in Lower California. Here's my wife, Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. Hello. How are you? Pretty good. Thank you. Um, thank you and for joining us on this very special Clarence Williams uh, the third um, oriented uh, Proopcast. Uh, Clarence Williams uh, got the job. He was doing a show on... He was on Broadway, of course he had it. I didn't realize that he'd been nominated for a Tony in the 60s before he did Mod Squad. Awesome career. Uh, First of all, the Mod Squad, by the way, in case you... Um, didn't know, ran for five years. It was a mm-hmm. giant smash. Mm-hmm. Through all of our childhood, we all watched it. Do you remember it. there was an episode where, I mean, he was everyone's favorite. They were all awesome, but he was everybody's favorite. Oh, yeah. Fa- favorite because he was so offhand. And um, where he gets kidnapped, and they don't know if it's the real Lincoln, and he says to, to uh, Peggy Lipton and Michael Cole, something uncool yeah. and that's the the giveaway that he's been held hostage right he, instead of speaking his awesome lingo but he always said solid yeah solid which he hilariously <laughs> never said in real life um he was raised by his grandparents he's from new york city um he was in slow dance on the killing ground uh, and he got a tony nomination for that it was a very famous play in the mid 60s and then uh he was sleeping uh, on a friend's couch and having no luck getting cast and he got in this Aaron Spelling um, episodic and they gave him a part uh, where he's a gangster and he had to drive a car so he gets in the car and he drove it straight into a pole <laughs> and on the set and right. Aaron Spelling and that's how he got the gig Aaron Spelling who's famous for every television show love Bo- He first of all he wrote westerns in the 50s and then he went on to become the, the biggest producer of the 60s and 70s him and uh, Quentin Martin um Love Boat, uh, Charlie's Angels, uh, um, uh, Dynasty, um, everything is Aaron Spelling. And usually schlocky, but the Mod Squad was the first show that put a black guy, a white girl, and a white guy together as teen crime fighters. And they, <laughs> and that was the, they would all, like the story of every great, like La Femme Nikita or uh, um, Chris File, they were all busted for something. And their alternative was either they helped the police. Wasn't that how they joined forces? Well, as Sherilyn Eiffel said, who's the president and director counsel of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, she she wrote, 
Lincoln Hayes was everything. Yeah. I was a kid, but I remember the the best the episode with his then wife, the great Gloria Foster, mm. who by the way plays the Oracle in the Matrix films. Right. Um, I told you one of my kids. They both had froze, and it was us in prime time. Mm-hmm. She what, wrote, "What is Gloria Foster Rest in power. Yeah, have one of my cookies. In a few minutes, you'll feel as right as rain." So he drove in at Cheryl Eiffel's an awesome person, and her sister was the fabulous Gwen Eiffel. Um, cousin, cousin, rather. Sorry, uh, he drove right into this telephone pole, and Aaron Spelling was on the set and ran over to him. This is the producer, and said, uh, "Clarence, what are you doing? Why didn't you tell me you couldn't drive?" And he goes, because I wanted the part. <laughs> and he said, that was the moment I cast him as Link on the Mod Squad. So he went from struggling and couch surfing. Not to a having... recommended method. Um, his grandfather was a famous jazz pianist and composer. Yes. Uh, from fa- Louisiana. Was also named Clarence Williams. Yeah. Uh, his, uh, he, obviously, he was in Purple Rain. He played Prince's father. And in that movie... Fantastically, he plays his his own father. He plays a composer, mm-hmm. uh, and Prince, I think, was certainly aware of that, since Prince's father was also a composer mm-hmm. and a musician. To have his dad play the troubled father in it, and he's he's astonishing in the movie. You remember when Prince swirled off into the heavens? How many times did you watch the movie that night? Like three times or something. A, a good friend of ours came over, and and we just kept watching the movie over and over, and we would take breaks to for conversation then go back to the film it was perfect vh1 showed it all night long yeah and clarence williams is unforgettable in it because he's boiling with emotion in it prince is acting let's you know we'll just we'll let that go but clarence williams acting in the movie is what gives it this insane emotional center because he's in a different movie he's in a real serious movie about uh, i'm curious about he was on Broadway in 79 in Tom Stopper's Night and Day with Maggie Smith. Now, I, wow. saw, I saw the play in San Francisco a couple years after that. Not Sadly, not with Maggie Smith and Clarence Williams. And the part that he plays is the dictator. Because the show's about uh, a bunch of colonials in Africa. And then this Idi Amin type character comes in. And that's who he most decidedly played. He clubs a guy with a cane in the play. He's real, you know, with the beret and everything. It's super 70s. Mm-hmm. There's a working telex machine on stage. I just lost the entire crowd. <laughs> a telex machine preceded everything else with computers. It was a, a news machine. that was. In any case, Clarence Williams was in Tales from the Hood. He was in um, loads of pictures. Um, also, can we add his his grandfather uh, was a collaborator of Bessie Smith's. Right, his Clarence Williams was uh, wow. eminent, and uh, his wife Gloria Foster was very good friends with Cicely Tyson. Uh, Clarence Williams has an unbelievable. What about the, the one time we saw him in West Hollywood? Yes, so we were out with our friend um, Warren Thomas. And um, we were having steaks at Dantana's. And Dantana's is one of about three or four places in this town that's really old school. The Derby's closed. Uh, 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 and what was the other one? Chasen's is closed. Musso is still open. And by the way, going full capacity this week. I just got wow. an email from them. Wow. We all call it Musso's, but it's actually called Musso and Frank Grill. And then the other really, really old, the Palms. I don't think the Palms is open anymore. Is it? it moved downtown. Uh, Dantana's is on Santa Monica. And... Centrally located. It's right next to the Whiskey. And uh, you heard of the Whiskey. Maybe this will remind you. Riders on the storm. So it, it's an Italian place. But it's a, a, a place for 
loose celebrity encounters. Dabney Coleman held up the end of the bar there for maybe 20 years. I remember the first time we went, we were in the doorway. We hadn't even gotten into the restaurant. We had placed a drinks order, and because it's that kind of place, people were handing us... It was like a... a human chain. Yeah, a chain... Uh, to get us our drinks because that was imperative. Which to, came over the to top keep of the crowd. The drinks flowing. Yeah. We ordered but couldn't get near the bar, and the drinks were poured. Dabney Coleman was at the bar. Yeah. Handed over to us, and we, were t- we took them, spilling them on ourselves as we got them. It's a fabulous place. Um, he the, was wearing saf- a safari jacket. He, he, he was in a booth. Was in a booth. Wearing, yeah. Please. He was wearing a safari jacket. He he was dre- basically wearing the outfit from Night and Day or whatever. He had the streamlined afro. Yeah. He looked like he was running a small Central American country from his booth. Yes. Yes. It was it was really exciting. There, behind us was uh, were two women who were dressed as twins in red outfits. Yes, and I believe they were professionals. And uh, uh, Clarence, there's just something for everyone. Was there. with his friends, and he was wearing the safari outfit. He had tinted shades on and the modified fro. And our friend Warren goes, "I'm going over." Because we were like, we sat down, and he goes, Clarence Williams the third, and we were all like, what? <laughs> we look over, and Warren went over and got to sit with him and chat with him for a while, and then he came back, and he was like, he was so awesome. And then we were looking uh, online today, and uh, Leslie Jones, the comedian, she mm. spotted him at Dan Tannis. I was like, was he just holding court at Dan uh, we, Evidently, we didn't go there enough, Jennifer, because we could have seen <laughs> Clarence Williams the third more. And there's other people you see there that we're not going to discuss because um, they're unsavory, but it's a fun place. If you come to Hollywood, um, you can get have some Italian food and then head to the bar and just uh, get it going. We took Peter Bergman there from the Firesign Theater. I'm going to say one last thing, and then I'm going to talk Michael Cole story. Peter Bergman was in the Firesign Theater. He's swirling in the heavens now. Dave Proctor's still alive. I think some of the other cats are. Maybe Osman. The Firesign Theater, a great comedy group from Los Angeles, a surreal comedy group. Same era, late 60s, early 70s. And... Um, but Peter came to the podcast one night. We we became friendly at the end uh, of his life. And we said, where do you want to go? We go, let's go to Dantana's. And he told us crazy 60s stories about being, he was at the no, Golden it was, Dragon. It was lovely. We were sitting yeah. at the bar and he was just holding forth and talking about when he lived in Europe and, and uh, various exploits. And the thing that was so hilarious was it was, that kind of it reminded me of North Beach in San Francisco mm. because the bartender yeah. was. Will you please do do what he said to me when I ordered my fifth vodka? Well, he he looked you in the eye as he was pouring yeah, pouring giant. pouring booze into your glass and said, "You've really got to slow down. <laughs> You've got to slow down." And then he had a shot. Yeah. Um, Peter was it drinking was, beer. It was crazy. It was a great night. It was crazy. And, um, uh, then we went outside and TMZ was there. It was just fantastic. And they were like, hey, Greg. And I'm like, I don't think so, you guys. I am I am Johnny Deppian at this point. That's I mean, they, why they're there. Yeah, hit the curb and just raise your fist and that's it. I salute you. Did a corporate gig in Palm Springs or somewhere out there, Desert Springs, whatever. Out in the desert, there's all these groovy places and it's all golf and resorts and stuff. And I was doing stand-up at one. It was Christmas years ago, 8, 10 years ago, easily. And uh, I'm standing there getting ready to go on. They gave me a little side room to, to put my suit on in, right? So I went and put my suit on. 
because it's too long of a drive to Palm Springs. It'll wrinkle your suit, you see. So I put my suit on and I came out and an, an older fellow was there with dark hair. And he came up to me and he went, my name's Michael Cole. And I played Link on the Mod Squad. No, he was Pete. I'm sorry. What did I say? My name is Michael Cole, and I played Pete on the Mod Squad. And I was like, that is so awesome. And we chatted. And I'm like, what are you doing now? And he sold real estate. He looked exactly the same, but older. And he was the good-looking white guy on the show. Clarence Williams was the sexy. They were all sexy. Right. Peggy Lipton was hot, like a supermodel. And um, that's what made the show great, is that they ran around, and they were all they all wore shades. And, you know. Uh, I don't know and I how said, it came up, but one time Mark Crowley and I were talking on the phone, and he said that he had uh, gone to a disco with yeah. Peggy Lipton, and they danced. Yeah. And Peggy just swirled off like a on, year on, ago. On Sunset Boulevard. So cute. They went to a disco and danced. She was so hip. I remember seeing her at our old hairdresser, and she was so gorgeous still. Of course, married to Quincy Jones. All of this is fantastic stuff. Michael Cole, I don't know what he went on to do other than eventually sell real estate. But I used to do it as a bit on stage because it was so great what he said to me. My name's Michael Cole, and I played Pete in the Mod Squad. <laughs> and I said, if you're a celebrity, I insist in, in the future that not only do you say your name to me, but that you tell me the role you played that I'll know you for. Well, so, if your credit is Mod Squad, one of the leads in Mod Squad, yeah. Um, he knew how old I was. He, he said in my But also, eyes, that what an he, awesome credit. I was like, I know who you are. I was so excited. So... I've we've seen them all. I've By the seen way, Michael Cole. Clarence seen, Williams the third was the first to decide that it was enough after five years. Yeah, he was the one who pulled And he's split and he did uh lots of other things, including playing an FBI agent on Twin Peaks. Yes. Oh yeah, he lots, pops, lots of things. He yeah. pops up and yeah, and one that I know you will remember, uh, because it was so great. He plays the undead voodoo lord in an episode of Miami Vice he does you made me watch that episode and he's awesome in it it might even be two episodes it was, it was so, so enjoyable awesome. to watch Miami Vice after it was over yeah we never watched it was on because it, you know it struck the fear in me well, like, I didn't really want to celebrate it at the time and then after it was over it was like you're kidding Iman is playing a you know, a, right. a killer. Well, Clarence Williams III is irreplaceable, and he was uh, an amazing presence on television, as well as in a zillion uh, movies and TV shows he guested on. See, are you looking it up because yeah, you don't believe that I... Well, no, I just, I didn't want to misremember it. The Miami yeah. Vice, a voodoo chief thought to be dead. Yeah. I remain undefeated. No. That, you made me watch the episode, episode is how I remember it. was... Really, you said wild. to me, "Have you seen the Clarence Williams the Third Undead Voodoo Chieftain <laughs> Miami Vice episode?" I'm like, now this got good because it wasn't just the, the usual. The episode's called "Tale of the Goat." Yeah, "Tale of the Goat." What? He's great in it, he, and again, he brings his insane well, intensity. He, well, I was just going to say the intensity. Yeah, he's just unforgettable, and that brings us to Prince because Prince had the awesome, awesome, awesomeness in his life to. Collaborate with so many groovy people. Um, he did an album with Miles Davis that I don't know that anyone's ever heard. He did. Um, he put. Uh, uh, he he put a Mavis Staple in uh, Graffiti Bridge. She sings Melody Cole, and she's in the picture. And in her documentary, she talks about Prince calling her and going, "I want you to do this picture with me." And she's like, "What?" 
because it's so so very boss and then he also put Clarence Williams III in Purple Rain um, so I think Prince was just had fantastic taste of course in who well, would be he, in, he was celebrating black history uh, yeah uh, and since it's Prince's birthday last week and he I went to see him in Do Purple Rain in 1984, 85. Whoop. Uh, I was Sadly, just, the only time I ever saw him was opening for the Stones. Oh, what year was that? 81? Was that a candlestick? Yeah, it was a candlestick. So, was he wearing ooh, the underwear? Awesomely stuff? comfortable. Mm. In no way at all. It was I, it, That was the show where a, a, a woman bit me on the ankle. Oh, no, no. Go back. Go back. You can't. Uh, let's get... <laughs> Jennifer, you can't skim over the, that part. I want more details. Why did she bite you in the ankle? People had camped out. To see the stones. Yeah. The prince was the opening act. And I knew where Keith was going to be. Which was what, stage left or whatever? Right. Exactly. And so we were headed over there, and we were just, you know, treading cautiously. And Describe where we are. We're at Candlestick Park, the baseball park. So it was the infield. We're talking about the outfield grass here you're on. Yes. So you walked all the way across the outfield to where the stage oh, was. Oh, it's not comfortable or no, inviting in any no, way. No. And the you brought blankets and stuff. The stage is too hot. Yeah. No, we didn't bring anything. We were those people. Right. You just bought We didn't drugs, think about... Cigarettes. Exactly. <laughs> we, yeah. And... Uh, what I knew mm-hmm. was where I wanted to be in front of the stage. Right, because you, Nick's going to be everywhere. You wanted to park yourself in front of Keith. Yeah. Was this the leopard vest? Yes, tour? it was. It was. It, it was, the, I think, the last time that uh, he may have felt comfortable exposing that area of himself. You mean to wear, not wear a shirt? Yeah. And, yeah, so uh, people were territorial. It, it was... I think it was my first experience with the fact that maybe I didn't want to be in a large space Outside. with Stones fans. Yeah. No. Like, the meaning of what that might be was putting a damper on my enjoyment. Yeah. There was people there from uh, areas of the Bay Area that, let's say, they were a little harder, a little whiter. Oh, they were way white. And that was the problem when, when Prince came on. This is after I was bitten on the ankle. No, you got to go back and describe how you got bit on the ankle. I tried to... We were walking by... You said you were treading carefully. ...that were territorial, mm-hmm. and a woman bit me. But I have... Did you step on her? No. We were trying to get past them, and therefore that was... Were you wearing happen. a dress? No, I had more sense than that. I was obviously wearing ankle boots. Okay. To protect myself from being bitten. And by right. the way, this is the only time that it ever... I, I was at, at Dead Kennedy shows, at, uh, you know, all manner of crazy punk shows. That was the only time that nonsense ever happened. Right, you ever got bitted. <laughs> Bit? Um, so Prince came on. Was he wearing the underwear and the overcoat? Was yes, it, it was purple, yeah, you know, yeah. fabulousness. And This is about controversy, that the, right around The then. crowd was just hideous. Yeah. They weren't um, ready for it. Just yeah. The just, Stones, though, well done, yes, bringing Prince with right? them. So uh, I saw Prince at the Purple Rain one, and um, we took a lot of mushrooms. I've told the story, so I won't tell it again. But he was really excellent. I saw him another time at a midnight show where he did a more casual 
uh, for him set, which means he did a bunch of cover tunes and stuff. Purple Rain was a real show, and it was the entire album, and then a bunch of the stuff from the earlier albums, and then it ended like the movie with a 17,000-minute version of Baby, I'm a Star, where everyone came on stage. The Time, Sheila A's band, everybody. So there was a the dude who wore the coonskin cap. I don't know if you remember that guy in the <laughs> band. There's everybody, right? Like, there's 100 guys on stage. And he had to shower. He took a shower. There was like a fluorescent shower. And he pretended to take a shower. He pretended to have sex with the stage for a while. And then he had a guitar that shot liquid. And it was, you know... How inventive. It was so great because they were on grain elevators like Kiss to open the show. So they came out of the stage and were lifted into the air. And they were like, dearly beloved. And then when they did um, Computer Blue, whatever, they turned all the lights off in the Cow Palace. And... Um, over the mics. Wendy. Yes, Lisa. Oh, yeah. Within the complete darkness. And then... And then... Yeah, so really awesome. There was people sitting in our seat when we got there. And we were tripping on mushrooms. And, Surely not. Um, there was... You know, that. remember we were talking about being ad hoc ushers at these gigs. So the mm-hmm. ushers were nothing to speak of. And they wouldn't do anything. And I was with Jeff well, Belton. yeah, you're not getting paid. My old buddy Jeff Belton, who's also swirling in the heavens... And Jeff was a slight affair. He was, what, 5'4 and 100 pounds. And um, uh, he goes, there's people sitting in our seats, Greg. And I'm like, I'll handle this. And I was really (laughs) high. And I went, hey, get the fuck out of these seats. These are mine. And they went, what? And I said, you fucking hurt me. And they got up. And he was like, how did you do that? I'm like, because I'm just high and I made it happen. (laughs) So the the end of the Prince story is he played Free, right? Which is on the second album, I think. Be glad that you are free, free to change your mind. Right? He's, he comes over to the piano for that one. So it's the Wayne Newton part of the show. Right? He, you know, he played every instrument. He played the drums. He played the, you know, not the sax, but he basically got up and, like, I can play guitar. I can play. And then he gets to the chorus of it and he goes, sing if you want to. So we all sang the next verse. Then he goes, thank you. And that. Wow. <laughs> because it. Then I read a book that Adam Ferreira gave me a couple years ago, and after every show, he videotaped every show, the band had to go backstage and watch it and do notes for two and a half hours. And it was... You know, that doesn't really, that doesn't spell fun, does it? But getting into the next part is, he shares a birthday with another superstar named Tom Jones, who had a giant, from Clarence Williams to Prince to Tom Jones. Here we go. Please... They both had hits with it. This is on um, uh, Under the Cherry Moon soundtrack. So, Jennifer, our acquaintances with Stephen Burkhoff. Stephen Burkhoff's a British actor who was an astonishing playwright, an amazing stage actor. And he's been in a thousand movies, almost always as a Russian general or some sort of crazy person. Like he was in... Um, it's almost another realm because his filmic performances are one thing, but he's so gripping on stage. Unbelievable. He's in Clockwork Orange. He plays the policeman. He says, shall I hold him, sir, while you hit him? And he's in um, Barry Lyndon. He's in Octopussy as the Russian general. He's in, I think, the Cindy Crawford thriller. Believe it or not, the first time I ever went to Edinburgh... Was that, that the first person you met? That, <laughs> that night, he was one of the first people yeah. that I met. 
Uh, we were having a cookout, right? Yeah, and uh, Rainbow, our dear friend, uh, Mark Rainbow, and I were having uh, sausages, hot dogs on on the uh, on top of Calton Hill. Calton Hill, and the person that I was there with eating was Stephen Burkoff. Right, there's, so I think we there's were, a photo of all of us standing there. There even. is. And there we're, is. I don't know if we have hot dogs in our hands. And but. then years later, I had just gotten in on the train, and you were doing a gig, and I was I was walking up to join you, and I was on the Royal Mile, and I ran into him. Hmm. Hello, said, Yeah. <laughs> just, Hello, Jennifer. Is, it's just too funny to, like, like, this is the person that you know in Edinburgh right. is and, Stephen Burke. And we've seen him a million times up there. He did because the chat show. couldn't be more intense. He was so great when he did the chat show, too. And he, had done, he was doing a one-man show about 9-11 that semester. And he had done a, a one, he'd done that giant show about Jesus the year before. He did so many great shows I'm going to say something that may be controversial in the UK. Go on. I think he's undersung. I agree. I think that he is... I, I went to see a really dreadful play at the National Theater. And during the break, I went... During the intermission, I went to the mm-hmm. book shop and I was looking at one of his plays and I just thought God I wish what was the one we saw with um, East no we didn't see East we saw the the, oh I saw East in a different no East is one of his awesome plays not Filth what's the one that's the dinner party and and had um, not Felicity Kendall um, Brian May's wife Anita Dobson we saw Anita Dobson in that one remember yeah. with, with Burkhoff on the yes. West End when we first went to London oh it was awesome and then we saw him do the actors uh, play uh, there was a th- he did a one man show of three different little plays that he wrote mm-hmm. where he adapted Poe's um, oh and we saw him in New York the Black Cat no the, this is Edinburgh and then in New York he did uh, Shakespeare's Villains yes uh, in Edinburgh, he did the Black Cat, um, and then the, a football Telltale one. Telltale Heart. Yeah, Telltale Heart. That's it. He did Telltale Heart, and then um, he did a version. He, he did a story Each about taking. One was just. Yeah. I mean, I can hear it. Yeah. I can hear. Don't tell me about the old man. I loved the old man. And he uses so much inflection on stage. And someone said, or David Johnson, I think, said to us, he loved Robin Williams. He loved that kind of switching character, switching well, voices. He said thing. that to us. Yeah, and that that was how he. He loves stand-up comedy, mm-hmm. so he, I think he came and saw our show. Uh, he did, certainly did the show with us. In any case, this isn't to pump myself up. We happened to be having dinner with him one night in a dinner party in London, and I said to him, can I ask you a question about Under the Cherry Moon? <laughs> and he went, yes, of course you can. There's lots of Stephen Burkhoff. We're all smoking in those days, um, drinking wine and whatnot, and he goes, um, I said, what was it like on Cherry Moon? He the only reason I got in the movie was because Terrence Stamp bailed out and couldn't do it, and I fit into his wardrobe. <laughs> Isn't that marvelous? <laughs> Terrence Stamp can't do it. But look at the cast of it now. It's Kristen Stott Thomas, who went on to be in a million pictures. But also, I mean, lucky everyone, yeah. because Terrence Stamp, Mr. Intensity, mm. you replace him with Stephen another Blair. intense... Why are you dating my daughter? <laughs> Why, why are you singing funk music on my lawn? It's such a silly movie, but he, he plays a gigolo in the south of France and he falls in love with a, a, a rich British girl played by Christian Thomas, who, by the way, gets, you know, it's Prince movie, so she's got, she's showing skin and, and she plays the drums at one point and goes, rock, rock, holly rock, everybody got a holly rock. Yeah, it's oof, fantastic. Oof. And Burkhoff just scowls and runs around in a white, it, he's all in white through the whole movie because the whole movie is in, it's in black and white. 
Anyway, I love the soundtrack. It's got Hole in the Head and Life Could Be So Nice and Kiss uh, is on that album of it. Anyway, uh, we've connected everything up there now. So uh, now let's uh, push on. It's to, oh, Tom, Tom Jones. Jones. It's his birthday. It's his birthday. Well. Oh, yeah, you got to play that. So oh, very quickly, I won't tell my whole Tom Jones story, but it is a grand one. I got to meet him. I got to do a gig with him. I was with him all day and all night. Not side by side. We did rehearsal and I watched him rehearse. And I will say this. He sang, it's not unusual at rehearsal. And um, he sang, uh, show me a man and I'll show you a woman with Sandra Bernhard. So that was the kind of show we're talking about. It was great. Early 90s. 1983, 94. And um, at rehearsal, full tilt boogie. He didn't. You know, you know, some people will go like, all right, here, 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 beep, 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 light change, light change. He got up and he went, uh, it happens every day, no matter what they say, you know it happens all the time. Like loud, like love can never do, <clears throat> right? People were losing their mind. The band leader was like, <laughs> so on the night he does it and it's even louder. And um, then he does the number with Sandra, and he was scared of Sandra. She was a little too empowered. Was he afraid that she was going to take the piss? I don't know. Maybe she was a comic, but she was also doing her shtick with the... She had a miniskirt on, and she was you know, trying to be like an iCat kind of thing. And she was getting in his face, which is what I think made him kind of... Even though she'd had him on her... She did a Sandra Bernhardt after dark. I don't know if you remember that one and, with Rip Taylor. In any case, uh, I walked up to him at rehearsal. And uh, he was sitting on the side, hungover, by the way. He came to rehearsal hungover, <laughs> which I couldn't have been more excited about. And this is right during Kiss, so he was back on top, baby. But you saw him at the Circle Star? No, I saw him in Las Vegas. We saw him with me. Yeah. But Sue, what? Maybe Jeff Beltman saw him at Circle Star that when he did Kiss and stuff. Still open then. And um, so he was smoking good news. He'd had, he was sitting on the side just trying to be quiet. And I went over and I said, excuse me, Mr. Jones, my name's Greg Proops and I'm on the show. And, he went, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I go, uh, can I tell you something? He goes, go on. I go, because uh, that's what Tom, Tom Jones, by the way, even on stage. Deep, deep. And, Welsh. Yeah, basso, basso. Welsh. But rumbly, he doesn't really articulate. Uh, he goes, um, I go, the first time I ever saw I ever heard Dylan Thomas's Child's Christmas in Wales, which is a particular favorite of yours, uh, was when you read it on the Tom Jones show. And he goes, looks me right in the eye. Oh. How many times have you heard that? I went, that's all I have to say. I'm leaving now. Seriously? (laughs) And I walked away. Then at the end of the night. Right. when When we went to the pub after, which was the best part of the night, and he and the guitar player from the show, the band leader, is this sang. kind of like Prince doing a show after a show? Yeah. He sat the in the bar. The fact that Tom Jones, at that stage, was still doing a show after his show. He would have been hung over in the afternoon, but by the time we'd finished the show, now he was energized. So we went to the pub on the premises, which was great. You'd been to it. It was the same place we did the uh-huh. white room. And he put a champagne bucket between his legs. They gave him a bottle of bubbly, which was his drink. And he lit a giant cigar. Like we watched a- we watched the Tom Jones and the Shirley Bassey at Glastonbury, and they're about the same age, and they're both from Wales. And right, he's from pretty, just, pretty something. They just annihilate. Yeah, 
the audience. Don't. The audience has they have no strength to fight back. There's no playing with them. So he sat and they played songs. And then um, he did one song and he hit a real low note. And on the table, the glass went. Really? Like that. And he had the cigar in one hand and the champs in the other. And I, they finished the number. And we're all, there's 12 of us maybe? McShane was there. So, so Tom Jones and Shirley Bassey just look to, to kill, to slay. Everybody all the time. Yeah. And then maybe afterward take you home and then do diabolical things to you and you'll never forget it. <laughs> um, he hit that note and he's got the cigar in his hand and he goes, Oh, I like that note. Wow. And, but I'm telling you, the glassware rattled. And Mike and I were like, so Mike and I went over to him and he, he did chat with us for 10 minutes. And there is a picture of me with him. I actually got my picture taken with Tom Jones. I'm wearing a Lip Sync Fame Can Be Poison t-shirt. Because <laughs> that's the kind of girl I am. Well, so I want to tell you two time. things and then I want you to play that. Jennifer and I have seen him a couple times. We saw him in Vegas and I, I worked with him that night and... The night is on a show called Viva Cabaret. Anna, Viva Cabaret. Um, a, a cat named Danny Holland, who goes by Danny Dutch on Twitter. Why am I telling you this? Because on June 7th, go back on your Twitter, page back to June 7th. Yeah, that's his birthday. Put a thread down. Tom Jones' birthday. Sir John Jones' birthday. The first one's him on his own. The second one's with Janice. The third one's with Aretha. The fourth one's with Cher. The fifth one's with Crosby, Stills, and Nash. You get the idea. Yeah, what? Little Richard, Jerry Lee Lewis, Joe Cocker. He put all these videos up. You and I watched the Wilson Pickett one a month or two ago just for fun. Yeah, it's so good. And he sings Midnight Hour with Wilson Pickett. It's frantic. Yeah, it's it's just boss. Uh, If you see him in concert, he's really, really bitching. And um, we used to have a set list on stage when we played the Super Bowl with Drew. Because Tom Jones always did the weekend before. And I never stole one. There was always the set list. Oh, you have to. Walking in Memphis, it's not any Really? You didn't steal one? This is him and Aretha from 70. The party's over of all numbers. You should see their outfits, you guys. Um, Aretha's mini dress is really beautiful and really short. And Tom's wearing a double-breasted, I don't even know what color green that is. With white buttons and a white spotty tie. An unseemly teal. Yeah, crank that up a little. Let's just hear Rita play piano.
just smashing. As you pointed out, she's an underrated uh, pianist. Superb pianist. Songwriter, everything. Um, and jazz. Oh, she's just the living Classic, end. blues. Yeah, she's... Soul, just, funk. Gorgeous. Yeah. An- another person that... Had- well, we're just lucky that Tom Jones is still around, baby. Yes, still on he TV. is. You still You can still here. watch him. Go watch his videos. They're really good fun. He honors uh, American roots music. The thing that I will say about him is the song that he liked the most... He was singing Jimmy Reed, which we'll get to later because we're going to talk about Jim Mudcat Grant, who when we yes, saw please. him at the Negro League Museum Hall of Game and he got up and sang... He sang Jimmy Reed, too. He sang him. Yes, he did. Uh, Baby, what you want me to do. But Tom Jones sang one that went... Oh, no, Big Bill Brunzi. I'm confusing him. He sang a Big Bill Brunzi song. And um, he worships rhythm and blues. And for that, I just, you know... Well, it's always always, uh, beautiful when you see a performer always supporting other... Gifted performers, Tom Jones isn't selfish. not being not being uh, in, in any way intimidated and not being jealous and lifting them up. He was the perfect variety it's, show host in a lot beautiful. of ways because right, he was a little bit funny. That. He had a good sense of humor, right? He's yeah. funny, and then he's great looking. But also, when he had Aretha Franklin and Janis Joplin and Wilson Pickett and them on, he loved having them on. He didn't just like having them on, like oh, I've got a great guest on. He was going to get out there and bop. Can I yeah. tell that that silly story of when I was twelve? Please. So the the first time that I don't think it's silly. I went I went to New York. I was in the back seat of my family's car, and I was reading. You the, with the Moody Blues? I was, was I was reading the Village Voice, right? As you do when you're twelve. I was going to say, can we stop for a second? You were how old reading the? Oh, Village I was Voice? already making mixtapes. So did you have a subscription to the Village Voice? No. I, but I knew where to get it, oh, you and, one and up. I, I knew that this is what I needed, you okay. know, in my life. So and, your dad took you to New York, right? We were driving to New York, and I was reading the Village Voice in the back seat, and the Village Voice super snobby, so you know I could get into that Relate. at twelve. And bizarrely, they had a review of a Tom Jones concert, right? And he was considered super, super suburban in those days. Well, it, it just outre. Like, you know what? Right. And it was all about how the guy went thinking, I'm just not going to dig this. Yeah. And then it was all about how, oh, shit, it's, this is He's great. great. <laughs> and this is what I'm reading going to like New York. And I'll never forget that. You know, yeah. there are certain things where you read them yeah. and you just like... Uh, him and Shirley Bassey come to destroy you. Who have you seen? Now, Tom Jones, we didn't go to, ironically, Scofat. We went, yeah. and he was awesome. And he yeah. sang Walking in Memphis, which was... I also did a gig with the cat who wrote that, and I can't remember his name, Mark, uh, at an AC, ACLU gig. And he did his version of it, but Tom Jones' version. And when you go to Memphis, you're like, you can't help but go, Walking in Memphis. Like he, right. Uh, and he did What's New Pussycat. And at that show, it was like complimentary. A girl got up and threw her underwear, and a guy got up and gave him some cigars, some fine cigars. <laughs> remember, All, everybody knew everything he liked. Uh, but I, I'm trying to think of who I went to see, thinking they would suck. And then when I left, I was like, "I love you," because it happens. It happens. Yeah. Sometimes you're yeah. dragged to something, or your your friend takes you, or you're like, "I don't really like them," and then you go like, "Wait what? a minute, yeah." Uh, I remember that awesome review of White Snake. 
when by the, Nicholas Barber. Yeah. I'll never forget. It was, it. It was the in the Independent, Independent, I think. And, then the and 90s. he said that I just I wanted I went and I wanted to hate them. Right. And, hate oh my god! Name. And by the end of the article, you're like he he's smitten. Yes. He's like Stevie Vai and David Coverdale, and yeah, he was he was oh, waxing. Yeah, he was pumping his fist. Poetic. I saw, I was with, uh, yeah, I'll just drop more names. I was with Fee Bill from the Tubes at Mark and Brian's Rockin' Christmas. And Foreigner was there and Hart was there. And I saw all these bands. And Fee played a number with Steve Lukather, uh, who wrote the number. We'll talk to you later with him. And Slash, uh, Rob Halford, and Keith Emerson. So it was pretty awesome. Who? Yeah. It was everybody from every 70s and 80s band. Right. And then Fee and I had a few Drinks and we no. were, we went in the audience to watch and Foreigner came on and I turned to Fee and I'm like Foreigner and he's like I know man and then <laughs> they have this other lead singer that they got who's a young guy and it's Mick I think is still there the I think his name is Mick Jones too the guitar player and they're chunky right? they're all named so Mick they come Jones. out and they uh, 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 like everything I detested in high school and junior college and God damn it when they did Urgent and it was just Boss. And then they do like, and all, by the way, you know all their songs after the fifth song. You're like, I know this one too. And then, I've been waiting for a girl like you to come into my life. At that point, Fee and I were like holding each other. And I was like, <laughs> I because go. Because I've, I've been at shows with Fee. We won't say what no, show. No, no, please don't say But it. where Fee is like openly. <laughs> this fucking sucks. Yeah, openly dissing. <laughs> Who's on stage. And so, yeah, for him to, yeah. you know, it's honest. We were at a show and he Whatever screamed. Whatever he is saying, it's honest. In a quiet room. Oh, no, he's only capable of honesty. He's not capable of dissembling or, or glad handing. He doesn't glad hand. If you suck, he'll tell you you <laughs> sucked. If you're great, he tells you you're great. We were at a show and he said out loud when there was no noise on the floor, this fucking sucks. There's no fucking melodies at the top of his voice. Yes. But then he famously said, when Hart walked by at that gig, uh, the one we saw at Warner. So, that's our fee. He's awesome. And, uh, yeah, so that would be the band that I saw that I was like, um, I really hate you. I even wrote how much I hated Foreigner in the book. And still, when I saw them, I was like, oh, and you 2 I saw you 2 do a number at a gig we were at. Remember, we did that VH1 thing. And I was Can like, I just say, I hope not, never to see either of those bands, because I would like to carry on disliking them. Their number Nikki was good. Nikki Giovanni, the, the American poet, was also celebrating a birthday on yes. June 7th. She's 78. Um, she's just delightful, and she came out with a book of poetry just before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And all, with the... She was desiring. She was desirous of people to get out and vote and make a difference. Yeah. And it's all upbeat. She's a really uh, lovely person that way. And this is one of her. Poems is she from, from Los Angeles, General? No, she is from Tennessee. Ah. Make me rain, which is the name of the book as well. Make me rain. Turn me into a snowflake. Let me rest on your tongue. Make me a piece of ice so I can cool you. Let me be the cloud that embraces you, or the quilt that gets you dry. Snuggle close, listen to me sing on the windowsill. Make me rain on you. We're going to have to stop tape here for a minute. Um, there's a situation of brewing. Hey, you can let it roll. Uh, 
talk about that young lady. Uh, by the way, uh, uh, go back to our poet here for a moment. Nikki Giovanni. Her book is out and it's called Make Me Rain. Yeah. Uh, and that is the title poem. And it's just, as you heard, moving. Uh, so many things have happened in just the last week. So many... Good things inspire. Oh God! And there are so many people that just make me want to, you know. Um, You got to get off that Twitter, Jennifer. Right? Social social media is not real life, everybody. Um, Darnell Frazier, who was the amazingly who stepped up and was that person who filmed George Floyd, won an honorary Pulitzer. She's a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, it was grand that the Pulitzer Committee she's sought 18 years to include old. her astonishing piece of journalism and honor it by calling it. It absolutely called America together in a moment. That very we've seen a million videos. We've seen everything, you know, and it, that was the one that galvanized the world. This is what she wrote. Everyone talks about the girl who recorded George Floyd's death, but to actually be her is a different story. My video didn't save George Floyd, but it put his murderer away and off the streets. And, you know, she's going through. How old is this young lady? She's 18. Oh, golly. She's 18 years old. What a hero. Yeah, very much so. What a hero! And and um, does it come with uh, any sort of remuneration or anything or prizes? I don't know. A it's book a deal, citation. something. So at least the the publicity. Yeah. One would hope uh, that something comes along with that because she's because our young Miss Gorman is uh, really really going places. Who yes. did the poem at the uh, inaugural? But then this woman's not a poet. She's. Uh, simply was a, a beautiful citizen who did something so Oh my god, so brave. Powerful. So brave. Um, Oakland Tech had their first black male Victorian. And history. Remember, we, we listened to his speech. Yes. It was really beautiful um, that he wanted to say that kids are going to change the world. Um, he was offered, uh, he was accepted into 11 different universities. But he went to Oakland Tech. Huh? No, that's where he graduated from. Uh, Oh. And he was offered positions in 11 different universities. But his speech was all about um, looking after other people and that he was the first and that he wouldn't be the last. Much like our vice Vice president president always talks about. He said we were, he spoke to the fact that they went through 2020. Yeah. And he this said, class. he oh said, we God. are the class of resilience, the class of strength, yeah. the class of hope, which is so beautiful. He's going to go to Stanford in the fall. Um, 4.73 grade point average. Can you have that? <laughs> right? Did I just see that number? Yeah. yeah. Ahmed Muhammad? Yeah. Do you, my grade so, point average was, I never broke two and a half, I don't think. So look him up, um, Ahmed Muhammad, the first black male victor- valedictorian at Oakland. 4.73. He, his speech is really beautiful. It's really uh, an inspiration of, of about hope, about hope after all of this 
that those kids have gone through. I can't imagine if you were a teenager during this time. A bloody awful year, but a bloody astonishing year, amazing year to... Can I just... Yes, please. Uh, all There's so much going on, but the Atlanta Journal-Constitution had an obituary for a man uh, named Jimmy Allen Ruth. He was 83... He was a white man who was the bus driver for a 1961 group of Nashville Freedom Riders. And I thought what was special about the articles about him was that he thought his greatest accomplishment was driving that bus. Mm -hmm. And when he was only 23, I think, uh, when he was a trailways driver... All the other drivers turned down the job except him. Amazing. And he said... They, w they were afraid. This is the part that was just... Or prejudice or whatever. He agreed to drive the students, and he never asked any questions. Yeah. Although he was aware of the risks involved, he was willing to aid in the cause for freedom and justice at all cost. Um, with no regrets, he expressed great gratitude for being honored and continued to bubble with pride for what he considered to be a small gesture. Um, Did they put him in that portrait of the Freedom Riders there? Uh, there was another uh, quote somewhere, and I have to find it. Um, uh, well, it was. Uh, this is in Nashville, and Trailways was a giant bus chain like Greyhound. They were the mm -hmm. other big bus chain. And they wore uniforms in those days, and... Believe me, bus travel was enormously popular as it is now. I traveled on Greyhound buses with my family a lot. It was a really cheap way of traveling. And you stopped a lot and you went to different locations. But as Here you say, is. all the other drivers wouldn't do it when they finally, Trailways agreed to take the Freedom no, Riders it, out. It, it's such a, a brave thing. Many riders were beaten, bombed, and arrested. Yeah. Um, he said... If they were going to die, I was going to die with them. Wow. Wow. And it, that's brave. And I wanted to highlight him because it's just, a, you know, that somebody can do the right thing. Yeah. And it has to, you know, he was one guy out of many that did the right thing. Courage is an awesome thing to possess. Um, it's difficult, though. Can I read a couple of them here? And then uh, speaking of people who are doing things, it's Pride Month. Oh, yes, uh, There please. was the Iditarod this uh, month in up in Alaska, which is, if you don't know what the Iditarod is, I'm often doing Iditarod jokes, <laughs> but then sometimes I have to explain them because people don't know what the bloody Iditarod is. Uh, I say that my job on Whose Line Is It Anyway was to pull uh, the other cast members whose names I can never remember the tall one and the older one and the show-offy one, behind me like a, a husky in the Iditarod. It's an enormous sledding race uh, where they have dog teams and they race from Fairbanks to Anchorage, is it? Anyway, um, they have a, a transgender dog musher in this year's Iditarod, and his name is fantastically Quince Mountain. I, I wish I'd thought of it, and I would have been proud of myself if... I'd said that Quince Mountain, but he fantastically beat me to it because he's more awesome than me. 
He's using his popularity on social media to combat anti-trans sport bills in his home state, Wisconsin. As you know, a bunch of states have adopted this, along with white grievance guns, um, hating the poor uh, and voter suppression. The other big thing is to hate on trans people. That's supposed to be one of the tenets of the Republican Party right now. And so Wisconsin legislature, of course, is trying to ram some anti-trans bills through. But our Quince Mountain is the first openly trans dog musher. And he has a groovy thing to say. It sends a message to trans kids. They're a problem to be dealt with. And that message, I think, is lethal. This is so punitive. It's using kids as a political cudgel. He testified against the proposed sports bills uh, with other advocates before the Wisconsin legislators. If I'm not on your team, you lose too, not just me. Mm-hmm. And that's really the whole point of it. Um, as someone said to me the other day, whatever happened to the idea of we just let everyone participate and then see how that works out? You know, there's you that. Mean, a, a fair well, fight? Gender, race, color, size, ableism, religion, sight, whatever you want to talk about. How about instead of saying only this many people can do stuff, we just kind of open the floor and... That'll shake down at a certain point. You'll see who the groovy people are because they have character. And character has zero to do with your looks or your gender or your color or your anything. It has everything to do. This Pride Month, is uh, it's 40 years since uh, we found out about AIDS. And it makes me think about uh, being in San Francisco and the coming together of... uh, lesbians aiding uh, the gay men and and looking after them because the president did nothing. President Reagan did nothing. I was going to say, that would be Reagan. Let's get real. nothing. And San Francisco really felt like an island at one point Mm -hmm. of where we all had to look out for each other. And I worked at a place that was uh, next door to the Names Quilt. And... uh, there was Castro and Market. such a profound sense of community and because it had to be. And uh, the, the Chronicle put out uh, photos of the first gay parade in San Francisco, yeah, which was 72. in 72. And it, it's so beautiful because there was no support then. And 15,000 people turned out. Yeah. With, with with for the very first gay pride yeah. parade in San Francisco, and when you and I went, by the way, you it just was, showed a person in a wheelchair. Was, you showed drag queens, trans it was people. Enormous. Yeah. I mean, it was just gigantic. Yeah. And uh, is it still the biggest, or is Sydney like the biggest now, or something? Well, remember right? they they didn't have it for a while in San Francisco yeah. because of violence, yeah. and it was just terrible. But um, these photos are so inspiring about. Uh, it says in 77, a quarter million people. Mm. And the next year, Harvey Milk yeah. was the Grand Marshal. And it's just that you just can't, you can't stop people. You can't stop Pride's it. an amazing day in San Francisco. Yeah. It, it's just so glorious. Well, speaking of that, um, there's a... Excuse me, an individual from RuPaul's Drag Race, um, Honey Mahogany. And Honey Mahogany 
was recently elected the first black and transgender chair of the San Francisco Democratic Party, making her one of the party's highest ranking transgender officials in the country. Um, she was vice chair in 2020. Uh, she uses she, they, grew up in San Francisco, went to USC, went to the, then went to the city and got a, a degree in social work from Berkeley. And, and has become a famous drag mm-hmm. performer since then. Mm-hmm. I just thought I'd chuck that one in because it's pride and it's important oh, for it's the honey just, mahoganies of the world so to get some love. To be the, come on. The get Democratic Party I mean, in San Francisco is a force to be reckoned yes. with. It's, it <laughs> is the driving political force in the city. And But, I mean, don't you want to make the world better? Why not? Jennifer, I'm a white guy. I think you're going to have to rephrase that question. (laughs) It was better when there was eminent domain and, uh, well, manifest destiny and women had no rights. When I could have sold you or put you in a home if I wanted to, just to make my life better. Well, in any case, the show moves on now, grudgingly. I guess times have to change. You know, not that it's not amazingly obvious, but the, the reason that... I really had to find out what's what politically was because I worked with gay men in San Francisco Hmm. and I worked with uh, Filipino gay men and uh, trans Filipino people and uh, lesbians and they held me accountable and if I didn't know what's what they wondered why and I had to argue with them and they informed me and they taught me and that's why right maybe their life is important as by the way two Filipino gay men named Dante which I love that is awesome right if you don't mind uh, I'm going to cleverly segue into some commercials here and then uh, we're going to come back to the show, which is already in progress. Or it's going to start soon. It got preachy, but it got good, too. I'll be doing this uh, this smartest man in the world thing that I do from the Greta Garbo home for the um, terminally bewildered. Uh, the Gre- <laughs> what is it? The Greta Garbo home for young girls and boys? I think Jim said. Of merit. Of wayward. We... we we're on the phone with our <laughs> mate, Jim Sweeney, the other day, uh, who says hi. And uh, you may remember him from the Comedy Store Players. If you're English, you'll know him from children's television in the 70s. Uh, and, of course, whose line is it anyway with him and Steve Steen? But anyway, James is a old buddy. He was the funny one. Oh, wow. As I said, at their 25th anniversary, one's funnier than the other. No fair guessing. Um <laughs> This is no, and nothing's funnier than breaking teams up. The concards that always go, look, Jamie, you, you know, if you guys were solo. I had to remind you. Uh, yeah, I love Of Jermaine's First name. of all, I love that you're Australian. <laughs> I love it. Wow. Secondly, yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Um, Smartest Man in the World uh, live podcast from the Greta Garbo home for the terminally ill is uh, Friday, June 18th at 5 p.m. Uh, my time, Pacific Proops time. It's at TicketTailor.com. It's also, uh, right, a stone jam. You can go to GregProofs.com. It's going to be fun. Uh, we've been doing like one a month uh, with the podcast and whatnot. Here's the other uh, thing now. We're going on the road again. Ryan Stiles, you've heard of him, the tall one. Uh, Joel Murray, Joel Murray, who, by the way, looks fabulous right now. I think he's been golfing a lot because he's really 
I think he's in fighting trim. <laughs> and Jeff Davis, who I think is going to appear in a sarcophagus. And then, of course, our Bob Durkacz, who's a um, musical director of the group. And uh, Wausau, Wisconsin, two years ago, we ordered Chinese takeout for our dinner. Wausau, W-A-S-A-U. There's a famous insurance company called Wausau, which was li- literally across the street from the theater. So we're, I was standing outside smoking a bone talking to you. And the Chinese food arrived, which I was pretty excited about. I said, I'm going to call you back. Got to get some Chinese food. Go inside. I had some beef chow fun and whatnot. Uh, Jeff had his usual, uh, uh, you know, the... the uh, he had the Tommy Tune plate, you know, whatever, <laughs> like a, whatever vegetarians eat. That's, uh, Joel had his usual. Ryan, when we get Chinese food, is almost always chicken, I think you know. And, uh, and he loves You're soup. You're divulging a lot here. Is this, too, is this letting you into our catching? <laughs> well, the point I'm getting out of this story is Bob Durkacz loves seafood. But he doesn't eat meat or anything. But like salmon, crustaceans, like you. Crustaceans Pes- and... Pescatarian. Yeah. Uh, uh, cetaceans, not cetaceans. Um, mollusks. <laughs> right? Anything so there's that, not a whale Anything that comes in a shell, whether the shell is articulated or not, like you, he's going to hunt it down to its home in in its bed and uproot it and serve it with a little inner otter well a little maybe some garlic right white wine some french fries so uh, right what every self shellfish deserves is to, to to die in our hand and let us worship and uh, at this gig it was one of the giant pans that you get at a banquet like where like a whole serving of stuff for everybody's in one of those pans that size not the little one, not your personal portion, but the one that you would put out if company was coming. And it was full of scallops, shrimp, everything. And Bob opened it up and he was like, man, I ordered the seafood. Bob's a hipster from Canada. Man, I ordered the seafood, but I didn't know it was going to be like this. It was the seafood platter, man. It just said it on the menu. Does he talk in Tommy Chong? Mm. He'll go. We were playing a Pantonal blues with optional chorus last night, man. When you hit that sixth, man, it was just like the trick, right? I mean, everybody knows, you know, when the groove is like that. That's beautiful. Yeah, he's... It's... I sit with Bob on all trips, by the way. We'll be back on the road. The September 16th. What? This is a new date, Jennifer. What? This is... This is Escondido. Yeah, we're going to do that. you know about this? We're going to do that. I... No. I think it's a makeup. I mean, I knew about it today, but I didn't know about it before. Well, the, well this is exciting. Right? We, in we, real time. We went off the road March last year. You said to us, why are you going on the road? We got in the bus. I did say, why are you going yeah, you on did. the road? Yeah, you did. You were very wise, as you are. You're the Athena. Pandemic. Athena of West Hollywood. You said, I don't understand why you're going on the road. And I said, you have to understand I'm in a group. And we... I think I did understand yeah, that. Yeah, of course you did. So, by noon or one, Gavin Newsom had called a halt to all gatherings of over a thousand people, which included all four of our engagements that mm-hmm. weekend. And so, so we you were forced, marched right back. We ate lunch in, in, in San Diego and we turned right around. So, that gig will be on September 16th at 7.30 in Escondido, which is a beautiful city outside of San Diego, California. Or as we used to call it when we played there in the 80s as comics, Sand Degraded. Um, then on the 29th of September, we'll be at the Calvin Theater. And this is what I love about playing um, the Northeast, right? You don't just go to the Cotton Mather Theater of the Performing Arts, right? You know, like the the puritanical, dancing, not allowed, um, snake charming, we're all wearing black with buckles on our heads, horrible 
what did Blue Reed call it? Uh, Puritan misery. The Puritan, the Puritan misery theater, the commiserating arts would like to present the Calvin <laughs> Theater. <laughs> really? In Northampton, Mass. Northampton, Mass is the most uh, witchy poo, lesbianic. Yeah. Um, Whiskey Rebellion happened there. Great place. Uh, I won't go through the list, but I will wrap it up with this. September 30th at Keswick in Glenside, PA. Um, there's a, You will find me in the submarine sandwich shop before the show, in case you want to talk to me. Wow. Octo- there's a submarine sandwich right. shop across from I the... I believe you. Uh, October 2nd, which is my sister's birthday, will be in Westbury. What? My sister and I are born on the same day, almost. When I say sister, I mean Serena from Bewitched. Wow. Yeah. I wanted to get to my birthday here. Uh... I will be at uh, the Chevalier Theater. That means Mounted Knight. Where? Wouldn't you like to know? Medford, Massachusetts. I don't think I've ever been to Medford, Massachusetts. I'm pretty excited about this. Two years ago when we were on the road, I was in Illinois, and Jennifer sent me a really lovely assortment of alcohol and candy and food for my birthday. I told them to go overboard, and they did. They gave me one of those grocery store bottles of vodka. <laughs> not like not the fifth, not the quart, but like the one that's like Like what? What? Did are we having Polish people over for the next week? Like it was that as Brian right. would say. It's Vladivostok or right. you know, drop. Right. I'm in, I'm buying the giant uh, uh thing of herbs because we're having Hungarian people over all week, right? <laughs> the, it was that big. And of course there's pictures of me with it, but this year we're in Medford, Mass., which I'm pretty excited about. And then the next night, Boston, October 6th. And I say a lot about Boston. I talk smack. But we love the Wilbur Theater. And um, we always have a grand time in Boston. Um, You know, you guys have your issues. I don't expect that to be resolved by the end of this year. Well, the big dig is over. (laughs) We were talking about it the other day. We were driving by a giant pile of dirt. And I was like, this reminds me of Boston. You're like, really? The big dig? It was that decade of, just a decade of garbage. Well, do you remember uh, when... Anyway, Who's Live Anyway, whoslive.com, whoslive.com, that we'll be back on the road for months and months and months. We're literally going to Florida, Illinois, everywhere. 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 I was just going to say, do you remember when we watched Vertigo in San Francisco? Yes. In the 90s. Yes, please. And there was a, there's a scene in Vertigo where there's construction at the top of Knob Hill, and everyone started laughing because there is still construction, construction at the top. And it was at the same place and yeah. at the same table. On Taylor. Yeah. And... When they go to that little apartment building that she lives in, that right. Kim Novak lives well, in. Well, I think it's the Huntington. Right, and the Huntington. But it was exactly the same place. And you're like, that was really? So decade after decade. It got a huge the, laugh in the yeah. movie theater. The camera pans over, and everyone started laughing because everyone had driven past it that night <laughs> or walked past um, it. Can we talk about the phenomenal rate? Of goodness that is happening in the Biden-Harris administration. I will hear of nothing else. Because I am so excited. And today we had uh, Justice Kentaji Brown-Jackson confirmed to the D.C. Circuit Court to replace Merrick Garland. That is the same court where Ruth Bader Ginsburg served. Who was also, right, on this day? Uh, Oh, right, on this day... 
President Bill Clinton appointed her to the Supreme Hello? Court. It is often, yes, let's emphasize that. Bill Clinton put yeah. Ruth Bader Ginsburg yes, on the Supreme Court um, in 93, yeah. I think. Um, I was seven. So uh, Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson, she's the ninth black woman to be appointed to a federal uh, position on Surely the court. that's a mistake, and there's more in this 200 and some year and, history of our country. you know, people are, are you know, Champing of the bit about Justice Breyer, who's on the Supreme oh, Court. He's in his eighties. Leave Stephen Breyer and alone. And I, I don't. I hate that. I hate the ageist kind of screamy yelly. Also, if you want to scream and yelly, go to the other side. Scream, scream at Republicans. No. How about Mitch McConnell? Yeah, for instance. Um, but uh, Brown Jackson clerked for Justice Breyer. Yeah. If you want to know how the game is in play, that is how it is in play. And uh, Biden's first federal judge was confirmed the other day, Julian Xavier Niels, to the New Jersey U.S. Dis- District Court. He's 56. He's a black man. It's a lifetime appointment. Nice. It is all happening. None of his uh, nominees are white men. Am I going to mess it up if I mention that? Um... Regina Rodriguez. Oh, yes. The first Asian American woman was... Uh, Notice how it's the exact opposite of to District Court of Colorado. Her father is Mexican American, and her mother is Japanese American. Mm. Her father, Pete Rodriguez, was one of NFL's first Hispanic coaches. Oh yeah! So wow. I mean, it's just it's so awesome. And also this weekend, our beloved Madam Vice President Kamala Harris was the first vice president, sitting vice president, to march in a pride parade. I'm just going to give you a little... Right? Let's do this I know, on camera. Right? Ah, right? I mean, it Rain just on me. makes my heart sing. I mean, she has been at San Francisco Pride right. before, I mean, of course. She, is the fir- she was the first person to marry a same-sex couple in California. Yes. She's a champion of um, So, I mean, Why this Kelly? is just so beautiful. And then uh, furthering everything that's happened this week, which is just phenomenal. They're, the media wants to just tamp this down, but n- no, we're not letting them. The Keystone <laughs> Pipeline <laughs> Project. Right, that got Biden canceled. blocked the permit. Yeah. It is over. It's been abandoned right. by its developers. The Keystone Pipeline. Yes. It is over. The Biden administration announced it will reinstate um, the... National Forest in Alaska, the Tongass National Forest, they'll restore protections for 9.3 million acres of land. Awesome. I think that's kind of big. The Um, wall? Remember the the money for the wall? Well, $2 billion Mm -hmm. of it went back to the military, to their families. Mm -hmm. This is not about uh, military... I was going to say but tanks, but that puts me in 1918. No, this is about like military families' budget. They need health care and they need yes, stuff too. Yes, housing and yeah. health care. Um, the EPA will reinstate a scientific group that looks into air pollution mm. that was disbanded by the Traders Administration. Mm-hmm. And then today, uh, you know, the, the man that was uh, diminished by somehow he was not... Uh, awake enough that he was in a basement 
Um, he was yesterday uh, at Windsor Castle. What are you talking about sexy grandpa Jeff? Right, GQ, GQ, GQ grandpa. grandpa. He was at a uh, mass. Then he yeah, went to tea at Windsor. Then mm. he flew to Brussels. Today he was in front of NATO, and the press was, "Oh my God! Oh my God! He's late! He's late!" Um, maybe wrapping some stuff up because he is making moves. Like I don't think we. How come seen. he's late? Because the press has a schedule. That's what right? I love. He was actually doing diplomacy. Yeah, and I believe we're at the brink of trying to get the U- uh, or Ukraine. Well, rather, as he said, that they need. They have a to, lot of steps to yeah, get. Yeah, I listened. Steps. I listened to the whole speech. I'm just saying. But remember when, when the day before, when someone asked him how it was going, he turned to Macron from France and said, let him answer. And he said, is America back? And he said, definitely. Yeah. Oh, my God. Macron was like, was snugging up to Biden so hard that he was side. almost behind yeah. Biden. He was inside yeah. of Biden. Was say, he was <laughs> at one like, point he had- yeah. Binded chromosomes with him and they were intermingling like Jill and him. <laughs> yeah, it got wild. Uh, Bojo, uh, when he went, it was a breath. Of, what was it like talking to Biden? It was a breath of fresh air. There's nothing huh. that a British person understates harder than when they detest someone. And Bojo, who's quite a good old Nazi on his own, um, said. Isn't he? Well, but as you and I were discussing, Tony Blair went from Bill Clinton to W and didn't ever move sideways. He just did it. Yeah, yeah. And Bojo's going from 45 to Biden and like, I'm just going to do the this. The body language of all of them. And, and the, oh, they love it. And today at NATO, it the, was just everyone's relief. Angela Merkel, Angela Merkel yeah, is happy again. Yes. She's she was happy. He Science. Yes. Science is bad. How does, what does he say? We follow the docs. We're going to follow what the docs say. And this is important. For all the people that are worried, you know, somehow imagine another world. Biden said today, I think it's appropriate to say the Republican Party is vastly diminished in numbers. The leadership of the Republican Party is fractured Mm. and the Trump wing of the party is the bulk of the The Trump wing. But it makes up a significant minority of the American people. Yep. So, you know, it's a minority. It's the holidays. Be of good cheer. Right? We have to quit with the, um, what did Terry Canfield call it? Um, If X happens, then everything, you know, will all die. It's a real social media thing, and it's an equation that's always run at people. And I'm not having people who are pretending to be Democrats uh, focusing their ire on Democrats. Oh no, no! You no. really have to look at that and wonder why that might be. And I don't, I don't. Can't you accept there are right wing Democrats? Well, I, 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 I think that they're chaos agents. Frankly, you mean the people who are hustling them? I the people that that are pretending to be Democrats who are oh, focused do something, do something. on being negative about Democrats yeah. at this juncture. Our chaos agents. No, you have to understand that Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are playing this so hard. Um, by the so way, long. can I just give a shout out to uh, Vice President Kamala Harris? Yes, please. Was, contrary to what some in the media said, the president of Mexico said that oh, he thought that. she was so extraordinary that he called her president. Yeah. 
that he misspoke and called her president. And I love that. I mean, this is about um, ending trafficking. This is about getting vaccinations to Central America and Mexico. This is about really essential things to discount her trip, to call it uh, that that she made some missteps is I think is 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 so wrong. Well, I, it's so nasty. The, the gravity and reality of what she's really accomplishing is uh, certainly more profound than the reporting on it. They want to because of misogyny law, and that Joe Biden's sort of kind of has this awesome. He's kind of unassailable right at the moment. So they don't really have popular popular because he's doing a great job. They don't have anything but to aim at Kamala a little. And uh, uh, instead of celebrating her, like you and I always think, why wouldn't you celebrate the first? It's really disgusting to me because she's our first woman vice president. She's done substantive things in Central America. Absolutely. The things she negotiated. And when she said, don't come, by the way, as you pointed out to me, Joe Biden had said it, and, and Obama. Barack Obama had said right. it. Right, uh, President Obama forgot, had forgot said it. Forgot Clinton and W probably said and, it. And uh, by the way, the judges that are getting through, by and large, are uh, people that President Obama wanted to appoint. Yeah. So this is a long time coming, and they are furthering this, uh, you know, much needed agenda, and the vice president. Is, has accomplished so much in going to the root cause of that she never said that no one should show up and and apply to be admitted. Well, into clearly, the they can have. It's about make you know the arduous, crazy journey of hiring a coyote, of don't, going don't across die. a desert. Don't die. Exactly. The it is a. It die. is a really. Go to the local place and apply for the actual legal asylum because there's well, another route. Right, and they're trying to. Uh, well, expand that. They've route. gotten twelve companies to yeah. invest in Guatemala. Yeah. The, you know, it's it's piece by piece. Imagine what the last administration undid. First of this all, this is the undoing. Right, you, and it, was the a, it was a crime to be you for the last administration, yes. and yes. this is not. We're trying to, uh, and for the people who. Uh, don't think uh, that they're hip. She went to South Carolina after that to talk about the child tax credit. Mm-hmm. And she's also in charge of, um, let's, what do we want to call it? Voting rights. Uh, uh, the issue and the, the giant thrust that everyone's so flipped about because the, all of the Republican legislation in dozens of states and dozens of bills seeks to suppress everyone well, we is have to white. be vigilant that's the thing well, i mean but i was gonna say we have to be on top of every local election you can't just sit out oh no we shan't and and the most important thing you can do instead of whining about chuck schumer and whatnot is uh go to vote.org or whatever and, and by the way chuck schumer has been quite Oh, he's had successful. A, uh, his week this week was pretty grand slammy. I mean, when you get uh, a Muslim and a black woman put on giant courts, and you got the China bill passed last week. Not the I called it the China bill. That was um, awesomely racist. Wow. Um, the bill that was uh, that passed that was an enormous uh, jolt of money, so that we're more competitive with China because 
now we're finally perceiving that that's a real issue, that China has gone to every continent and offered people cash incentives to do things, and that we have to play on the same terrain as them. It's that simple. It's real politic. Um, it's not a, a dastardly thing that the world has to do. It's the way things are. I don't mm-hmm. even want to split hairs on that. Merrick Garland, who's our AJ, is doubling the size of the Justice Department's voting rights enforcement staff. He did that this week. It's he so huge. Also, yeah. When everyone was decrying him on social media, yes, this he is what he was doing. This is what he was doing. He was doing his job. And also, the the fact is, what President and Biden what President Biden said at the beginning was it's not my Department of Justice. Mm. They're independent. Well, so could people, the press, stop saying it's Biden's Department of Justice? No. It's like they are completely uh, under the spell of the traitor. Well, the traitor, though, was exposed this week in the biggest story, bigger than Watergate, if you want to, that uh, he was using the Justice Department to shake down Congress people who he felt were... Well, he Adam was, Schiff in particular and Eric Swalwell. He was getting media and uh, political figures, uh, emails, phone records. It's really, really dire. And but it's, I believe yes, it won't. It's, it's it won't murder. end here. Oh no! I mean, they're going down. Mm. I f- fully believe this is going to get bigger and bigger. It doesn't end. And it's you know, the time is over because the. Sanctions against Russia, the... uh, uh, Let's just talk, throwing this in as a wild card, Israel this week. Yeah. So what we've seen this year, and we're talking about what day is today, June 14th. It's Flag Day. Merrick Garland's only been in since, what, April? Yeah, I was going to say, he didn't even get in in January. (laughs) Like, you know, people want so much. It's the middle of the year, let's call it. Uh... uh, President Biden and Vice President Harris have only been in since the 21st or whatever. And look at what they've done. That's what I'm saying. It's a miracle. Indian country has gotten more money than they ever have. I mean, we've we're taking been... our masks off tomorrow here in Los right? Angeles. Right? I'm not, but a lot yeah, of people are. I know. I just wanted to say. Everyone's we, comfortable with you wearing We masks. are wearing masks yeah. because, you know, funny that people didn't. You protect people that have compromised immune systems. It's not about us. And uh, you don't transmit colds and flus. So maybe masks are quite a good thing. I never really want to have the flu and two colds a year like I always did my whole life. Um, Yeah, I'm starting to... Maybe in... I'm starting to mask up. What? A mass transit situation, it's probably a good thing. I think on any sort of uh, airplane, bus, ferry, whatnot. But in my opinion, though, it's not that um, I'm trying to uh, inflict some sort of terrible political agenda on you. It's more that um, we're doing one another a courtesy. And that courtesy is by not sharing the droplets of your life you're not exposing people who, by the way, might be in any stage of vulnerability to this. Sometimes you have no idea what someone's going through. What if what if they've had cancer? What if they have some kind of immune issue? Right. I'm not comfortable now 
you know, today I had uh, somebody in to repair something, and we both wore masks, right. and, and I it was okay, inside the and we didn't say anything yeah. about it. You yeah. know, like I just feel like that's the appropriate way to go because I want to look after other people. That has to be the new new, right? Well, I'd like it to be. I'd like it to be that that people are still being clean. I'd like I'm people so to, to scrub up, you know. I still have... What was the cleanest? Do you think Japan or Sweden? <laughs> I remember when I was a little kid that uh, when we were stationed in France, that I swear to God, the U.S. Air Force got dairy products from Holland. Wow. Because they deemed them more sanitary. Right. But I remember... My parents being like, wait a minute, wasn't Louis Pasteur from France? Yeah. Uh, it's Pride Month, and the San Francisco Giants, my team. And by the way, I have every issue with baseball, you know. Uh, I'm aware that it's a giant corporate entity and that, you know, every kind of phobia is prevalent. Still, we love the game, don't we? And one and two. The Giants did the right thing and really had an awesome Pride Day the other day. And they did rainbow uh, logos. Wasn't that cute? And they included all 11 colors because of last year, they added the colors of ethnicity to the rainbow colors. And uh, the, all the players wore them. Black Lives Matter. And, oh, right? And the caps. And here's the picture. And a lot of the players were really enthusiastic. MLB players, this is from the Washington Post, are by and large more conservative than their counterparts in the NFL NBA. That's a very charitable way of phrasing it. Do you think that's <clears> true? <throat> well, look at what uh, the NBA acted like and the WNBA, to be even more to the point. They. Oh, to be sure. <laughs> You know, the NFL was forced to because... Well, that's what I was going to say. Even the the NFL... But the players in the NFL are largely African-American. And MLB players are about down to 6 or 7%. It's really uh, a wild situation. And um, so, yeah. And and traditionally... um, Here, this is the sentence that I quite liked here. Uh, they're not known on leading issues for social justice, blah, blah, blah. Uh, when Commissioner Manfred announced in April MLB would move the All-Star game out of Atlanta because of the laws passed in Georgia, it made it more difficult for black people to vote. The decision stunned the sports world. That's where baseball's coming from. Glenn Burke was the first openly gay player. He was a sensation the thing that blew of, me away was you said he's the first one to do the high five. He invented high There's a picture we're looking I mean, at right now. So shouldn't Glenn Burke be like the most famous? You mean the thing that we learned when we were children? Everyone high fives. Yeah. Glenn Burke. He was openly gay. The Dodger organization wasn't particularly open-minded to that. He was traded to Oakland after playing, by the way, in the postseason for the Dodgers. In 77. And the playoffs against Philly and that World Series against New York. He was a utility player, as they called him. 
which means uh, he went in um, when an outfielder infielder couldn't do their thing because he was quite fast and had a great arm, but wasn't a day-to-day guy. And Billy Martin and Tommy Lasorda, sadly, did not step up to the plate as far as homosexuality was concerned. That's so awful. And they were both more homophobic than they needed to be. The A's have made major jumps since then and have had his brother there for pride. Glenbrook's brother. Oh, God. And uh, the Giants. Thank God. But the Dodgers have been a little laggy on the whole thing. There was an article in the LA Times about it. We're not here to dwell on that. We're here to talk about how great Glenn Burks was. Well, obviously. Uh, Glenn Burke was uh, a, a tremendous presence in the major leagues. And. Um, I love this photo here of him giving a high five to Dusty, Dusty. Baker. Well, and who's. We're Giants fans. Dusty was a famous uh, Atlanta Brave, served in the same outfield as. Henry Aaron and hit 30 home runs in the famous season where four Atlanta Braves hit 30 home runs. Then, later in the career, played for both the Giants and the Oakland Athletics. I remember when he came to the Giants in 84, we were very excited because I, 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 as I would say to several friends, dug him as a Brave. Um, then, he was our greatest manager for the longest time, during the Barry years, with Jeff Kent and everything. But let's get back to Glenn Burke. He was a teammate of Glenn Burke's, and he was supportive of Glenn Burke. A lot of the Dodgers really liked him. The Dodger brass and the Dodger management have never embraced him. And since then, if there's a paucity to be commented on in the Dodger organization, it's that they might have embraced him more. Glenn Burke died of AIDS. And was in penury when he died. It's shocking. He was was indigent when he died. It's shocking. It was terrible. And the Dodgers didn't give a hoot then. And the A's have been more vocal about it since then. Anyway, he's a, a wonderful figure in baseball history. I feel like... Well, let's, let's jump into the last segment here because now we're into three well, and a half hours. He was from Berkeley High. Right. So he was a real Bay Area guy. Very much you so. Know? And uh, quite right that the A's would uh, celebrate him. And by the way, the A's are playing awesome ball this year, as are uh, my beloved Giants, who are playing way, way, way into the ether. And by the way, we still have Brandon Belt, um, Crawdad and Buster Posey on our team. Mm. Are you going to talk about Mudcat? Right now, my lady. Um, Jim Mudcat Grant uh, is uh, swirling in the heavens. Why do you mention him? Well, uh, Well, for so many reasons. uh, Glenn Burke is is a pioneer. Uh, Jim Mudcat Grant is also a pioneer. By the way, someone gave him the name Mudcat. Uh, Mudcat. He's from a place called, which is just beyond. Didn't he have a group called the Kittens? Yeah. There's several reasons we love Mudcat and take him to our heart. One, when I was a little kid, um, he came to the A's when I was eight. And, and then into nine, and I had his card and Blue Moon Odom. So they had two pitchers on their team who, by the way, yeah, this is the 69 A's. 
John Blue Moon Odom and Jim Mudcap Grant. So, okay. right? And they wore these, uh, or they had the sleeveless uniforms that were. I think I met him four years ago at the Negro League Museum. He was there with his family. Yep. He, he showed up every year for it. And so that year we met him. And then fantastically at the end of the night, um, after the whole ceremony was over and whatnot, he was at Bob Kendrick, our good friend, and uh, the man who runs the Negro League Museum in Kansas City invoked or asked Bob to, I mean, excuse me, asked uh, Mudcat to get up and sing. And he did. He rolled up in his wheelchair and he sang, um, baby, what you want me to do? And it was really boss. And it was a great night. Mudcat Grant. uh, He and his family were so beautiful. They were so sweet. Oh, my God. And I remember when they came in, uh, Bob Kendrick just lit up. Like, you know, they're just a beautiful group of people. That's true. You know? Yeah. I think he was a wonderful person. Not only was he a, a superb pitcher, he was a, a, had a career as a singer because he was an awesome singer as well. In 1965... He had an amazing year and won 21 games and pitched in the World Series and hit a three-run homer for the 65 Twins. And was the first black pitcher to be able to do that and went on to write a book called Black Aces, The Black Aces, um, that I'm holding in my hand. And uh, it's about all the black pitchers who won 20 games in the major leagues. But also, Jennifer, yes. uh, several years ago when we were at the Negro League Museum, you told me you were sitting with the son of... Hilton? Yeah. Where's his name? Hilton Lee Smith. Yeah. And I, I remember looking at him and just noting how impeccably he was dressed. Yep. And he was sitting opposite me when we were listening to Mudcat sing. And I just felt so moved by that we were, that they were still here, that, Mm -hmm. that I was able to witness that, that they were, um, so beautiful and so positive and wanted to share right with everybody. And his father pitched uh, alongside Satchel Page on the Kansas City Monarchs. That great team from the forties was the team we're talking about. And that's uh, and then, it speaks to the importance of the Negro League Museum. Yeah, as a living, these men felt, you know, that motivated to be there to. Mark every anniversary mm-hmm. it, that no matter how they felt physically, they were there to mm-hmm. bolster uh, people's enjoyment. The the fact that yeah. they're living history. Very much. So. Right? Yeah. Well, and one of the other pictures he talks about, uh, because the Black Aces is a, a comprehensive book, is Chet Brewer. And we met Eddie Murray and had a really good time with Eddie Murray. We, had, we were lucky enough <laughs> to have drinks and 
uh, eat with Eddie Moran, break bread, as they say, and drink some wine and whatnot. And um, Eddie Murray told us a lot of things about baseball all through the days, the couple days we got to hang with him. And Chet Brewer was the baseball academy. Chet Brewer, after his illustrious career in the Negro Leagues, started an academy that Ozzie Smith and Eddie Murray and dozens and dozens and dozens of baseball players down here in Los Angeles went to. So and you're looking at Mudcat's book. What I'm talking about is what Mudcat covers in his book, which is all of these different pitchers. And all of them added, Dave Stewart, for instance. what an important person he is in bringing it all together. Um, Yes. And the book is called? The Black Aces. He's from Lacoochee, Florida. And you can get it at the Negro League Museum, right? No, you can get George Altman's book there. Uh, George Altman, also essential. Well, if we'll take a small stop... Uh, George Altman played in the Japanese leagues and college, army, uh, minor, major, played for the Cubs, cards, had two home runs off Sandy Koufax, which is unheard of in the 60s, turned to us when I was talking to Bill Russell, and I said Candlestick was hard. He was a left-handed pull hitter, and he hit down the right field line, and the wind blew out that way. And George Altman turned to us from the front seat and went, I liked Candlestick Park. He waited too, and so that was awesome. But getting back to Mudcat Grant, I mean, please, how lots. how awesome was this man? How tall was he? What are the salient facts? He, in the nineteen sixty five season, he was probably the Cy Young winner. He didn't get it. In the World Series, he started a couple of games. Uh, the Minnesota ended up losing because Sandy Koufax won game seven. They actually took it to the last game. Mudcat won both his starts and hit a three-run homer. What I'm saying is, you've heard of Double Duty Radcliffe. You've mm-hmm. heard of Smokey Joe Williams. You've mm-hmm. heard of, right? These are guys who could do everything. Christopher Torriente, uh, uh, you know, all the players that Martin Digo. What what's another thing that you told me about Mudcat when we first met him that is really pertinent to what where we are now as a nation? When I was a fan of his as a child, he was traded to the Oakland Athletics where he became a superb reliever and then went to the Pittsburgh Pirates of 71. And I don't think he went to postseason with him, but he was on that 71 championship team with Clemente and Stargell. Um, was one, he was boss. And two, um, he married a white woman, and that after, was a problem for the team. After that, they yeah they traded him from team to team, and he can, carried on being a productive. We, we met them, the two of them. Yes, in Kansas City. I don't think that Mudcat would want us to emphasize this, but I think it's exactly right. But it's part of the racism... Of baseball. Yeah. Well, of our country. Society. Right. Baseball's a corporation that's within America, like show business. Uh, That's the thing that people have to understand. It's as much a show business entity as ABC or the Ringling Brothers. Is there a Ringling Brothers still? There should be. There isn't. No, there shouldn't be. But anyway, getting back to them, they were such a beautiful family. 
And when they came in, I will never forget uh, Bob Kendrick's face. Yeah. He would just lit up like, you know, Mudcat had so much uh, charm and charisma. And you could just tell, as we know from going to the museum uh, year after year, that it's about so much more. It's so much more because of the history of our country. These guys have so much on their shoulders. Also, you've and met, their families. You met so many. Their families, their wives. We can never overlook yeah, their wives. No. Their wives are beautiful and vibrant. I mean, awesome people. Yeah, but they're they're not just ball players like Dick Dick Allen and Eddie Murray and Mudcat Grant. They're Dave Stewart. They they're, they have a million imaginings. They could have done, and they, they do. can do, and they do uh, embark on all sorts of things. But I mean, these guys are like, you know, unlimited charisma. Yeah. Yes. They're they're just. You'll never meet anyone as wily as Dick Allen. But you, and you'll never meet anyone as... Oh, I'm so as, glad that I got to hang out with him. Uh, you'll never meet anyone as cagey as Dave's... You know, like, they're just all... all no, they're beautiful are. people. And I, I feel lucky, lucky to spend oh, no, time with them. The, yeah. These these are people that, that, you know, you don't know what they might have done in different circumstances... Also, they're, these are people at the top of their game that you think about some athletes, hello, Kof, Djokovic, who are... Oh, no, yeah, really? Yeah, I'm going to take out... I, I was a tennis wow. fan when I was growing up, and, and that that's a, a vaccine denier, a COVID denier wow. person that I would never want to meet. Page you turn be a satchel page. From every bell that rings for you be a cool puppet bell. And if you have to buy bonds, make sure they're very bonds. Jennifer and I wish you nothing but peace and love. Jim Grant. I see skies of blue.